Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. It's good to be back this morning. I've been away for a couple weeks. It was a nice time with the family. The, the first thing I want to do is, is recognize our staff for the job that they've done. Even while I'm away, my wife asked me, she was like, are you stressed? And I was like, I'm not. And, and a big part of that is just because we have a really awesome staff that is really faithful and does their job really well. And so all across the board. So if you work for GCC and if you're part of the staff, would you please stand up for just a moment? Go ahead. Yeah. So I'll just pick on one of them because she's right here, which is Hunter. But uh, if you ask Matthew Russell what Hunter does for the church, he would say that if it wasn't for Hunter, we wouldn't have a church. And so I don't know what that says for me, but I think it says a lot for Hunter. So yeah, so I'm thankful for our team. I also just want to ask our elders to stand up as well, because while I'm away, it's such a blessing to have them loving, caring, and leading for the church as well. And so I know they're in the room, and there we go. Thank you, guys. Also, it's really nice to have Brad Hodgen back because he's like the only person that ever says an amen during a sermon. And so, and, and I like that he encourages other people to do the same when he's up front. So yeah, so love you guys. It's good to be back. But, uh, but before we jump into the sermon, I, I want you guys to do this, whether you're online uh, at home right now or in the room, is on a piece of paper on your phone, if, if you will just write down this, write down one or two things that you would like from Jesus, Okay. Right now, and not like your beauty pageant answer, if that's genuine, that you want peace for the whole world, then write it down. But, but what are the real things that you really want from Jesus right now? Let me give you examples. A promotion, a better marriage, a husband to be a leader, a spouse, to get into college, a child in the womb, a healthy child. What are the ultimate things right now? If you're being really honest, you don't have to show it to anyone, you don't have to... Uh, uh, do anything with it. I just want you to write it down. One, two, or maybe three things. Before we jump into the context of where we're going to be this morning, if you guys would turn to Matthew 21, Matthew 21, we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry. That's what it's called. But here's what I want to address. That oftentimes I think that what the church has done and what the church can be guilty of doing is supplementing Jesus. And what I mean by that is Jesus isn't the main thing. He's actually more of an accessory. Kind of like a cake. You don't need the sprinkles, but they're an accessory. They just make the cake look prettier. And oftentimes I think in Christianity, we don't necessarily want Jesus as the ultimate thing. He's more of an accessory that can just make our lives look a little bit prettier a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer, but he's not the main thing. We want Jesus as long as he doesn't bring us pain, but as soon as he brings us pain or anything uncomfortable in life, then we're done with Jesus. And so what we really want is we want Jesus to be an ends to make our dreams come true, but not Jesus in and of himself to be enough for us. And so the main point this morning is, is a question that I would pose. Is Jesus supreme or the one who fills your dreams? Okay. Is Jesus supreme or the one who fills your dreams? Our dreams can take over. Our desires can be so strong they don't allow us to see straight. 
I remember the majority of my life not liking the way that I looked and liking movies and documentaries that, that, that had all these like jacked guys in them. And I was like, I want to look like one of those guys. And so it wasn't happening. I joke around oftentimes, but it's not too far of a joke and say that I hit puberty when I was like 21. But I wanted this dream so bad. Started watching like bodybuilding shows and stuff like that. A really horrific one called Pumping Iron. And three people laugh because they sadly have seen that too. And so I was watching these things, but this is all I wanted. And then I was in a relationship where the person in the relationship cheated on me multiple times with someone who was, I don't know what other, just, just a really muscular person. So that's all I wanted, right? So much so that these dreams took over and I said, they won't allow us to see straight. Is I, I was arrested two out of the three times out of my trips I went to Mexico. What was I doing in Mexico? Sorry, there's kids in the room. I'll, I'll keep this as PG as I can. Is I was, I was in the importing business, okay? Uh, vet products, specifically supplements that Mexico sells. I would go down there and I would get those and then I would bring them back. Two out of the three times I risked, I've seen locked up abroad, but I was willing to risk that. Two out of the three times I was arrested the last time I was taken to jail. All because this is what I wanted so bad that nothing could stand in my way. When we arrive to the text today, what we have to see is the Jewish people had their dreams projected onto Jesus, and ultimately it was not Jesus that they wanted and the type of saving that he came to do. It was their dreams of what a Messiah should be and what a Messiah should do. And as long as you do this, we're all about you. But as soon as you don't, we're done with you. And so it's easy for us to look at them and be like, how could they turn their backs on Jesus? But oftentimes inside of the church today, people turn their backs on Jesus because they say this, I've played my part. I've done my job. I didn't see you hold up your end of the bargain. So I'm done with you. Because in that, the statement is, as long as Jesus does this for me, as long as he fills my dreams, then he can be supreme. But he's not actually supreme. He's just your genie. He's an accessory. He's a commodity for people. What's the context of what's going on as we arrive in Matthew 21 today? We have the time of Passover, one of the big Jewish celebrations, okay? We have this going on in Jerusalem. So imagine this, Jerusalem nor normally around uh, 20 to 30,000 people. But at the time of, pa of Passover, Josephus records there was around 2 million people in the city. So the city swells to an enormous size from Jews all around the area coming to celebrate the Passover. <clears throat> that is the equivalent to, um, well, the acreage size of, of Jerusalem is around two to 300 acres. That's around the size of the U of O campus. So imagine two million people on the U of O campus. That's what it was swelling to, right? And in, in this time, Jesus knew what it was swelling to. Jesus knew this time of Passover. Jesus planned out everything to be the way that it was for when he was coming to Jerusalem. He knew it was Passover, he knew what would happen, and he knew what it meant when he rode into the city this time. What do we know about Matthew, the author? We know that Matthew was one of the 12. He was a tax collector, and in that day, that was the outcast. You were hated because you were a sellout to the Roman government. No one liked tax collectors. They made their money by taxing people, whatever the Roman government would tell them, and then they would tax whatever they wanted to on top of that to put money in their own pockets. They were hated. So you, you, you have Matthew writing this gospel to Jewish people 
at the time of Passover, when the city is flooded with people. With that, let's pray and dive in. Father, we thank you that you came, not to fulfill our dreams, but to show that you're supreme. Jesus, you came, you rescued, you, you gave us our ultimate need. This morning, I pray for our church family. It is so good to be here. It is so good to have a church family, God. None of this is anything that we are worthy of. God, especially your love. Father, I pray you would remove distractions. I pray you would remove uh, the things that we're thinking about at home, whatever's going on in life, God. And I pray that you would just make us present to your word in this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's the authority over our lives. We thank you that your word cuts and that it heals. We thank you that through and through it tells the same message, that Jesus, you came to provide our ultimate need. Minister to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 21, is Jesus supreme or the one who fills our dreams? These are the words from Matthew. Verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to, it's actually pronounced Bethphage, but we'll say Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, or I'm sorry, by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's word. We're going to look at a few things. In verses 1 through 5, we're going to see that Jesus is supreme through his sovereignty. Then we're going to look at Jesus is supreme through his divinity in 6 through 11. And we're also going to see that Jesus is supreme through salvation. So we're going to look at Jesus is supreme through his sovereignty first in verses 1, 1 through 5. What do I mean by sovereignty? Just simply put, I mean God's control over all things in the universe. We believe that Jesus is supreme over that. And, and, and here's, here's what we know, is during this time of year, uh, uh, Jesus started this, as Hunter read earlier, uh, he was down in Jericho. Jericho is uh, 14 miles away from Jerusalem, or over 3,000 feet down Okay, so that's where he started healing blind Bartimaeus. And then he, he, during this time, makes the ascent up the Mount of Olives. And he arrives at a place called Bethany. We know he spent some time there because that's where Mary and Martha lived. Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And then but between Bethany and Jerusalem lies Bethpage, which is about a mile outside of Jerusalem, okay? And so 
Where they're at is at Bethany, and Jesus is saying, go to this town, Bethpage, and there what you are going to find is you're going to find a donkey, and you're going to find a baby donkey tied up. Get them and bring them to me, okay? Jesus loves using the words go. What God also loves is to stir up our A-type friends because this would make anyone crazy without knowing more details other than this is what you're going to find. I mean, we would ask probably 30 follow-up questions of this, right? He says, go. Yeah, go on into that page. You're going to find a donkey there. There's a baby donkey with it. Bring him on back. And if anyone stops you, just let them know that the Lord needs them. And they're like, okay, cool. And, and, and they go. And, and that's what they do. Now, we could say, did Jesus talk to the owner? How did he know things were going to roll out that way? But if we do all that, we miss the purpose of Matthew recording this. The purpose is that Jesus is sovereign, that he is supreme through his sovereignty, meaning Jesus knows everything that is going to take place. He knew that healing blind Bartimaeus just days before this was going to stir up a lot of popularity. He also knew that his greatest miracle thus far, healing Lazarus just days before this, was going to stir up a lot of popularity. He knew that the crowds were going to be stirred up. He knew that Jerusalem would be swelled. He knew what would happen, and he knew that there was going to be a donkey there. Why? Because he knows everything. This completely rejects openness theology, which is also called open theism, which says that God does not know the future. He doesn't know the way things are going to roll out. In fact, he knows everything. He even knows where there's going to be a donkey and a colt tied up. Why is this important for Matthew? It's important for this reason. Not only is Jesus the prophet, the great prophet, but he's also the one that is calling the shots and organizing everything for his own death. Meaning this, Jesus wasn't some just um, innocent bystanding victim in this. He was the one who plotted out his entire redemptive plan to the very T. I mean, everything he planned out. What is he showing? What he says later, just know this, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down at my own accord. That's what he says. When they arrest him in the garden and, and they're like, where's Jesus? He's like, I'm here. 300 soldiers all fall down. What's he letting them know? I'm, I'm divine. No one's taking my life from me. I planned this all out to a, to a T. And that's what Matthew's trying to draw us in to see is that Jesus is supreme through his sovereignty. He knows all things. All those details of how did, how did it work out or how do we know this, it, it doesn't matter. What, what, what matters is that Jesus shows that he's a true prophet. We know this from Deuteronomy 18.22. Here's how we test a prophet, and this is helpful today. A, there are no more prophets. We have this as our ultimate prophecy, a closed canon. But here's how we test a prof, uh, prophet. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. There you go. So we know that prophets were true prophets based upon the prophecies coming true. Jesus says this is what's going to happen. He is telling them what is going to happen. He, he has stirred up the amount of controversy. He has, he, he, uh, controversy. he has made religious leaders angry and furious. Why? Why were they furious? Because Jesus also showed that he is supreme as divine. 
He is supreme as divine. We, we, we see this here in, in, in 6 through 11, but I want to say this first, that in this passage in verse 5, it is a quote from Zechariah 9.9. It says this, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, the beast of burden. They knew this. <laughs> they knew that Jesus would be coming like this. They knew the Messiah, I should say, should be coming like this. That he should be riding into a city on a baby donkey, like it says it. And then he's on the donkey. So how do they go from cheering on Jesus to screaming, kill him, over the matter of days? It's really simple. Their dreams of what they wanted Christ to be and do for them became supreme. And many sitting here today are either frustrated at the church or frustrated at Jesus because we have said, these are my dreams. These are supreme. I need you to do them for me. And when Jesus doesn't operate or do things the way that we think things should be done, we get disappointed. Though the passage is so clear, not just this passage, but passage after passage in the Old Testament, we see that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. Isaiah 53, read it. It talks all about the Messiah's suffering. We see in Psalm 22, it being prophesied and promised that they were going to divide his garments, the Messiah's garments. We see these promises over and over again that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be cast out of Egypt. We see these things, but you become blind to these things as the Jewish people did whenever you project all of your dreams on Jesus and say, this is what I want and need. We do that. And again, we need to see that Jesus has planned out his salvation from before the foundations of the world. He was using the hands of evil men to accomplish the plan of redemption. Where do we see this? It's clearly in Acts 4, 27 and 28. I love this. For truly in this city, he's talking about Jerusalem, there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. He says this again in Acts. So he's like, this is what's going to happen to the hands of evil men, but just know that God's predestined it to take place before the foundation of the world. Jesus is supreme through his sovereignty. He knows the outcome. He knows the event. He knows he's bringing, bringing the crowds to, to, to be stirred up. He knows that by the crowds coming to worship him, the religious leaders are going to be righteously angry. Unrighteously angry, I should say. So then we see in verses 6 through 11 that Jesus is supreme through his divinity. Look here. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, good, faithful disciples. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Pause right here. What, what's going on is we, we, we see this in an uninspired book called Maccabees. There's the first and second Maccabees. It's in the Catholic Bible. It's not in our Bible. We, we, we believe great historical book, not, not an authoritative inspired book of the Bible. And so in this book, what do we have? We have the Mac, Maccabees revolting against the Greeks. And then what do they do to celebrate? They, they, they cut green branches, which symbolize victory, praise, and celebration. And so they thought Jesus was going to be like another Maccabee. 
to come and crush their greatest threat, so they thought, which was Rome. They projected their dreams. Their dreams were this. And many people, if you're being honest, have this dream today. Their, their dreams were that Rome would be crushed, that Jesus would set up an earthly temple right then and there, and that the Jews would be restored to a golden age, much like we see during the time of David. And so they're spreading cloaks. They're waving branches. Look at verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, which means save us, rescue us, deliver us. Uh, Hosanna, save us to the son of David. They recognize that this is the king, that he is the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at this. They go from blessing to days later, cursing. Why? He didn't fulfill their dreams. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, they declared again. Verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, Ah, oh, this, is, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus, for, for, for the first time, makes a big, broad, public statement of who he is. He is now inviting himself to be worshipped as the Messiah. This is not something that, that we see throughout the Gospels to be such a public and broad statement. We see it, though, that Jesus is supreme through his, uh, through his divinity. We see it all throughout the Gospels. It's just not a broad statement where he's welcoming people and inviting the worship to him. So how do we see it throughout the Gospels? We see Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. If you eat from me, you'll never be hungry again. We see him saying, I'm the living water. If you drink from me, you will never be thirsty again. I am the light of the world who has come to, uh, to, to, to overthrow the darkness. Jesus never says like the prophets of the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. He only says, truly, truly, I say to you, declaring that he's divine. So, so, so he didn't speak for God. He spoke as God. You know what else he says when he heals the paralytic? He says, your sins are forgiven. They're like, wait a minute. Only God can say that. He's like, exactly. One of the ones that's great, too, is in, in Matthew 23, 34, he, he, he says, I sent you prophets, wise men, and teachers. Also, I believe it's in Luke 10. He's like, I saw Satan fall. He's like, I was there for that. He, he has all these events showing that he's been divine. One of, the, one of the best is this, is he talks about Abraham and that Abraham was excited to see the work of the Lord coming. And they're like, you're not even 50 years old. How can you know Abraham? And he's like, he rejoiced. Abraham did. Because before Abraham was, I am. Which is the exact phrase that God spoke to Moses. So, and, and they knew it. The Jewish people knew it because they picked up rocks right then and they were going to stone him. And Jesus disappeared into the crowds. So Jesus shows that he's supreme through his divinity and he invites it now. For the first time, he's, he, he's, he's inviting public worship of him. Which again, is going to only stir up a lot of hatred against the religious leaders. Do you know though, the, uh, just the irony here is what they missed. Jesus didn't come on a war horse like Pompey. He didn't even ride on a mule like King David or King Solomon. 
He, he didn't even come on a grown donkey. He came on a baby donkey. That's like they missed it. Like it doesn't get any more humble or lowly than that. That's the equivalent to uh, imagine there's a big leader coming to town. And, and, and we line the streets. They have it set up for miles. And, and you're just waiting on him with such excitement. Here comes the leader. And he turns the corner, makes his way around. He's on a tricycle. You would be like, what? What in the world? It's somewhat equivalent to that. It's like, whoa, whoa, this, this, is, this is it, huh? The king, he, he's, he's on a baby. I, will, I just wonder, I'm like, were his feet like almost dragging? Because it was a baby donkey. But they missed it. They missed the prophecy. They missed it that, that Jesus was saying, absolutely, I am this promised Messiah from Zechariah. I am divine. I am supreme. Man, what's more humble than riding on a little donkey? Only one thing I can think of, carrying a cross, which only the most vile, horrific criminals did. This is, this is one of the few times, other than Jesus being anointed by Mary, that we see him getting what he deserves. And, and this is only even a partial, like this is the king, the creator of the entire universe. He's, he's here on the earth for, for, for a mission. The mission is to save rebellious people from the wrath of God that we deserve because we've sinned against God. He's here in the most uncomfortable way. I love comfort. I love my TV. I love being at home with my family. I love comfort. I'm not living the comfort of the throne to come to earth to save and rescue people who rebel against me. That's what he's here. That's, that's what he's doing. He gets a partial, partial bit of what he deserves. And in a few days, he'll receive everything that we deserve. You see, Jesus is supreme through his sovereignty. Jesus is supreme through his divinity. He's, he should be worshipped. But Jesus is also supreme through our salvation. You know, all, all, what, what I think, I don't know, I'm implying this, so just be, be gracious here, this, uh, is that I can only imagine that it would break the heart of God in, in flesh, that the people are crying out to save me and save us because we hurt. We're in pain. We don't like the oppression. And Jesus is like, I am here to do that. But not in the way that you think you need, in the way that I know you need. Again, they had their dreams, and those were supreme. And so the question is, is Jesus supreme, or is he the one who just fills your dreams? Let me ask you this question right now. Are you angry at God or have you walked away from Jesus because you feel like Jesus didn't fulfill something that you deserved? Because that's what happens here. What actually was supreme in their heart and what they truly worshiped was not Jesus, it was their dreams. And he wasn't doing it. In fact, he starts to say stuff like, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. I'm going to be sensitive, so hang in here with me till the end, okay? But we get in a lot of trouble as soon as we think that for any millisecond, in, in any, 
in any ounce, in any way that Jesus Christ owes us anything at all. Christ owes us nothing, ever, period. And things go sideways in my life, and I see them go sideways in other people's life. As soon as we think that Christ owes us something, or as soon as we think that we deserve something, I told our elders recently, I was like, hey, I feel like I've been working hard for a while and I just kind of want to sin. Just, I just want to sin. I want to indulge myself in some, in some sin. I feel like I've been working hard. I kind of deserve that. How, how stupid is that? And self-righteous. It's not what I did. It's just what I told them. That's how I was feeling. And so, look, Lord, I've been doing this for you. It's been hard. I didn't know it was going to be like that. So, I deserve a little me time. I think this stuff often. We were over at the coast yesterday, and I didn't see a speed. <laughs> I didn't see a speed bump. So we're driving. We got our camper on the back, and slam on my brakes. Not in time. Trailer pops off. Our, our hitch. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it, was, it was our our camper just sitting there on this like very narrow road. My wife's directing traffic. I'm stressed out. My kids are asking me out the window. They're like, what's going on? I'm like, no, it's not the time for questions. I was so angry. Do <laughs> you know what I think? I'm like, I don't deserve this. Just coming over here to show my family a good time. I think that stuff all the time. And here's where my life goes sideways. As soon as I tell Jesus that he owes me something the, the, the oxygen I breathe from the earth that he's created is a gift I don't deserve. The sun is a gift. The rain that rains on our crops is a gift. All these things are gifts. You know, one of the hardest things for our family, and before we, we were packed up to go camping the other day, is my wife came in from a run and she was crying. Because ever since our foster son came into our family, I prayed every day that this boy would become ours. And I thought for sure God was going to do that. Every day for like seven months. I don't think I've ever prayed for something more faithful. Until the call came. And he was removed. And, and I and again was revisited by the hurt this caused when my wife came in and she was like, the camping just reminds us of trips we did last summer with him. I don't deserve and have no right to lay claim to this is what God owes me with anything. Not with that, not with anything. He owes me nothing. He is God, He is supreme. I love this story. Please don't be offended by the language. This is from J.C. Ryle. He's from the 18th century, and he tells this story. I've shared it a couple times, but this is, this is where our thought should be at. He, man said a thoughtless, ungodly English traveler to a North American Indian convert, man, what is the reason that you make so much of Christ and talk so much about him? What has this Christ done for you that you should make so much ado about him? The converted Indian did not answer him in words. He gathered together some dry leaves and moss and made a ring with them on the ground. He picked up a live worm and put them in the middle of the ring. He struck a light and set moss and set the moss and leaves on fire. 
The flame soon rose and the heat scorched the worm. It writhed in agony and after trying in vain to escape on every side, curled itself up in the middle as if about to die in despair. At that moment, the Indian reached forth his hand, took up the worm gently and placed it on his bosom. Stranger, he said to the Englishman, do you see that worm? I was, perish- I, I was that perishing creature. I was dying in my sins, hopeless, helpless, and on the brink of eternal fire. It was Jesus Christ who put forth the arm of his power. It was Jesus Christ who delivered me with the hand of his grace and plucked me from the everlasting burnings. It was Jesus Christ who placed me, a poor, sinful worm, near the heart of his love. Stranger, that is the reason why I talk so much of Jesus Christ and make much of him. I am not ashamed of it because I love him. No, we have homes, most of us. Jesus Christ didn't have one of those. We have so many great gifts from Christ. But Christ shows his supremacy in the salvation he's offered. He does not owe that to us. And in fact, the greatest thing that that, that you need, again, want to be sensitive, is not the thing that you wrote down most likely on that list. So here's what I would ask you now. If Jesus never fulfilled those things that you wrote down, would you walk away? Would, Would you walk away? You have to realize this, is Jesus came to do what needed to be done and to give us our greatest hope, our greatest dream, and the greatest prayer that we might not know that we need to ask God, and that's to reconcile us into the arms of God's love through his atonement. The greatest place you'll find the greatest healing is in the arms of God's love. And that is only made possible through the work of Jesus Christ that he came to accomplish. They didn't know that. They couldn't see that because they were blinded by their dreams. Oftentimes we say, Jesus, we need you to do this. And he's like, what needs to be done for you, I've accomplished. I have a reoccurring nightmare over and over again. I've had it since I think I've had children. It's that uh, one of my girls is drowning. And she's sinking so fast that I can't get to her. It like wakes, makes me in palm sweat now, but it makes me wake up in sweats. Like I can, I can see them sinking, but, but I can't get to them in enough time to grab a hold of them. We, when we look at the cross, we shouldn't see some non-emotional transactional deal. You know that Jesus throughout his whole ministry when he prays to the Father, he, he, he shakes things up because they, they said God, Yahweh. And he's like, Father, they're like, whoa. Father, that's very personal and intimate. That's how he referred to, to, to God, his Father. Until the cross. His language from Father goes to Eli, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not a transactional, non-emotional deal. I can only imagine a small fraction of what it's like for me to want to help and rescue my girls. When the Father looks and sees the Son crying out to him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's his son, which goes to show you how much love the father has for his, for his elect, the ones that he wants to save. It goes to show you how much love Jesus has to subject himself to that. It goes to show you how much you think the dreams or the things you've written down on your list won't do it. 
but only a reconciled relationship with God will, which is why Jesus cried out on the cross that Friday afternoon, 3 p.m., which is the time that the Jews were sacrificing their Passover lambs. Tell me Jesus didn't plan it all out. So at 3 p.m., the priests are sacrificing it, but the ultimate priest is on the cross laying down the sacrifice that we truly need. They got the prophet piece right. He's the prophet. They even got the king piece right, but, but they were missing the priest. He was the prophet, king, and priest. That 3 p.m., he cried out these three words, arguably my favorite in the Bible, it is finished. Heaven and earth, Jesus says, will pass away, but my words never will. For you this morning, I need you to hear this. Maybe you're someone who's walked away from the church. Maybe you're new to the church. Jesus' work is finished, not partially finished, not some way finished, not 99.9% finished, 100% finished. All that needed to happen for us to be made right with God, for us to be holy and pure and righteous in His sight, Jesus finished it. You need to remember this morning and even preach that to yourself. It is finished. I've ran my life personally exhausting trying to please God because I forget that His work is finished. Many have tried and tried religion, saying, Here, God, here's my work. I'm trying to finish it, forgetting His three words. It is finished. All that you need for God to be impressed with you is his son's work on your behalf that is finished. He loves you as much as he loves his son. Through his son's three words, it is finished. And faith in them. What our kids are learning about today in GCC Kids, they're learning about faith. We're saved by our faith in Jesus' work. The question is, is Jesus supreme Or is he the one who will just fill your dreams? Is Jesus a bonus? Or is Jesus the ultimate treasure who's given you your ultimate need for your ultimate purpose in life? I'm not saying that Jesus won't do the things that are on your list, but I'm telling you this is what I do know, that regardless of what is on your list, a better marriage, a better life, a marriage, whatever it is, that Jesus' promise is this, that I will never leave you or forsake you, and I will work everything in your good. Not some things, all things, everything for your good and for the Father's glory. For Abraham, that took 25 years to have a son. My hope and prayer, this Passion Week, Passion means suffering, this Passion Week is that Jesus is our treasure Not something else on the list, not something in the created world, but Jesus himself, because I'm convinced of this, that that when Jesus becomes our everything, that, that, that when having a restored relationship with God is our ultimate, then anything else in life is just a nice bonus, because we have the very thing we need. What do we do? Quick, quick application. Repent. I think when we make our dreams supreme, we need to repent from that. And ask Jesus to again become supreme in our lives. We need to know that Jesus died on the cross for the ways that we make our dreams supreme, okay? So he was literally taking God's righteous wrath for the ways that we elevate our dreams above Jesus as king and supreme. He's paid for that. It is finished. We shouldn't separate the church and Jesus. Here's what I mean. Oftentimes we can tell what people view Jesus as, how they view and treat the church. If church is just a commodity, an accessory as well, not the bride that Christ has purchased, then you'll show up whenever you want. You'll show up to community whenever you want. I think it's an honest assessment that you can have 
with yourself and say, where am I at? Here, here, here's, here's the last thing. Be honest with others when you're broken, when you're hurting, when you're struggling for, because of the things you wrote down on your list. I want to be sensitive. <laughs> Share with people what is on that list. Share with them with your gospel communities this week. Share with people and abide in God's word because the longer that you spend time in this the more you will see it as all about Jesus and he will become supreme. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Let's pray. Jesus, you could have stepped off the cross. God, you could have rescued your son, but in that there would be no rescue for us. Thank you for staying, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Lord, I, I, I can't fathom how or why you would come to rescue such broken people. But you have. God, where we've grown exhausted from religion in our hearts, forgetting the words, it is finished. Bring us back to that reminder today. Jesus, I pray that you're supreme in our lives and not our dreams. Jesus' name.